John Luke and I sat down with the Collins brothers and we spoke about their book, Invoking the Beyond. This book is a masterpiece. It's massive, deep, and detailed, and puts together connections between ufology, new religion, super weapons, extraterrestrials, deep politics, and a counterfeit divinity, and way more. So guys, tell me, tell me about um, yourselves. How did you get into this field of research? When I was back in college, like um, I had a teacher that was, he was a judge in the local area. That's when we were still living in Ohio. And, oh, you live uh, in Ohio too, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Dayton area, actually, just outside the Dayton area. Yeah, I six seventy five ran straight yeah. out to us. We were a little town, lived in a little town called Medway. Yeah, although like we the- we called it Mudway because it was there were, muddy. Yeah, it was muddy. No sidewalks for the longest time. So, um, and like right Pat was about 15 minutes out from mm-hmm. where we were and all. And, um, but like, I yeah, Ket- Kettering for a while. So right there. I did Kettering, yeah. as well. I covered, yeah. the, I covered Kettering for newspapers for a while there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, now Kettering's nice looking. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more, it's more up, upper middle class and, or yeah. <laughs> I got lucky. Anyway, upper middle class for Ohio. <laughs> for Ohio. And I don't know if you want to drink the water anywhere there now, though. But uh, nah, I'll drink it. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, following this, the, the chemical <laughs> release <laughs> from the train <laughs> and that. Yeah. Yeah. Way wow. to build the wine. We authorized the burnings. Hey, great choice. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, the, one of the, the teacher in my, um, he, he was a teacher in two of my classes. He was a teacher in constitutional law and he was a teacher in, uh, criminal justice. And he was a judge in the area. And his name was Judge Joe Palmer. And Joe had been with uh, the Marine Corps. And then in the Marine Corps, he got out of the Marine Corps. He was um, recruit. He was recruited out of the Marine Corps by the CIA when he was in Vietnam to um, to pose as a Canadian running a trading post. And he was supposed to collect intel from the from the locals, you know, like people would come and they you know, that they even said, you're a nice guy. Just talk to people. That's all we want you to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice then, tell, yeah, tell, them, tell us what they told you. And so, you know, somebody would come up and tell them, you know, yeah, my cousin's on that hill over there, you know, yonder. And, um, you know, then, you know, a day later he report and that, that hill got bombed, you know, mm. and, you know, so he, but, uh, you know, um, he had a run in with the CIA while he was there because they, he, he, he met a MVA general and the MVA general wanted him to go back to Hanoi with him and visit. And he said, I don't want to, uh, you know, what a sole white guy in the middle of Hanoi, no way. And all, mm. but they made him do it. And he, he went and he, he was there three days and then he, he had to kick out because he just couldn't concentrate. And they were so, pissed off at the job he did because, you know, he's just, he's high anxiety the whole time that uh, somebody with the agency um, ended up uh, floating it to the MVA that, that he was, that he wasn't, he wasn't a Canadian and that he was, you know, an American and stuff. And so, you know, if it wasn't for that general who he had befriended saving Mm -hmm. his life, he would have been dead, but he got back to the United States. 
He played some kind of minor role that he never really went into in too much detail. He usually, when he'd do his talks, he would do mostly about Vietnam, but he played a minor role in the, in the whole plumbers uh, thing and all. Oh. And so, and so, you know, he really knew a lot about the CIA and he, he liked to throw, you know, he liked to throw the, uh, the covert political angle into the stuff that he would teach, you know, because he'd be like, well, here's the normie stuff and here's mm-hmm. the stuff they don't teach you. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that inspired me to, you know, read a lot more. And then around 2001, after when that, when the attacks happened, it was like the nine really, eleven attacks. Yeah, yeah. I really, yeah. I, like, I really need to start writing about this. I really need to start, you know, contributing to like the research community and that's how it kind of got started you know and mm. i, I oh. handle the politics and phil handles the philosophical side then sort of theology well, it, i mean i mean i when i came across your book i was i came across it just doing some research into the uh, into the disinformation campaigns the you know the the misinformation and and the mythology building really um found your book and I was blown away by the content in it. Um, so I skimmed it a lot. For a lot of the research work I was doing, I was doing, I was using a digital copy online to start with. So I was skim reading it and going, wow, these guys have researched this, they've researched that. Oh my God, they've got everything. So I was, I was really blown away by it. Um, that was seven years worth of work right there. Wow. I mean, there were yeah. times, there were times when we were writing it where we weren't quite sure that we were going to finish it. Yeah. And I'm even still, I mean, even to this day, like um, I'm not, I'm kind of iffy with the way that chapter seven, which was the chapter that focused on UFOs, how it came out. It's like, uh, is, it a, is it a little bit sloppy or is it a little bit disorganized because the topic is, uh, is convoluted and how do you oh, make yeah. it not be convoluted? And yeah. all, you know, it doesn't lend itself to short form journalism, you know, um, you know, well, but, but like, uh, it, you know, I still think that it needed to be said and, you know, probably could have no, been said great. a little bit better. But. Well, I, I mean, for me, like you, you basically sort of kind of put everything together that I've been leading towards myself. So going from a, I guess, a, a kind of a believer in, in UFOs and, and all that kind of thing um, to kind of getting turned around on it and understanding that there is a ruse and the reasons behind that. And obviously, one thing that I've learned from the years that I've been putting into this is the fact that it leads into all manners of philosophical um, oh, yeah. education and learning and and parapolitics and politics. So it, it expands your mind in so many different ways. So if there's been anything positive to come out of the fact that my mind has been changed over the years, right. it's that. It's got me into so many different areas of learning. And I think that's what your book covers. Like it really goes in depth into the into the philosophy. It goes into the uh, the parapolitics. It goes into the uh, the politics and the, the the history as well, which is fabulous. Um, so I was blown away by the amount of learning in it. To be honest, like really, really excellent. Yeah, I remember you hit me up. You're like, you have to read this book. And I yeah. first, you know, my first thing is thinking, okay, all right, I'll read. It's like a thousand a thousand pages. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to say that I've read every single word right. on every single page, but I, no, I've, but it's you know, amazing. I've, I've, I've been through that book, and um, yeah, yeah, I've I've been scouring it for for my own research. So, um, but it lined up guys... a lot of this stuff that John Luke and I've been talking about for years. A lot, yeah, honestly, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I don't want people to get the wrong impression and think that we totally discount any kind of, there is, there is an element to it that's still, it's, it's, uh, I, I see a paranormal, a psychic element, a preternatural element. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I don't want everybody, people to think that I just distill it all down to the mundane and that it's all just human agency and all, yeah. but a lot of it is human agency and that needs to be acknowledged. And, all, you know, um, I, I just I don't I, I don't see it as clear cut. It, the the Roswell dialectic, what got established with Roswell, the two camps that it's it's either just uh, you know human uh, human R and D uh, or or something interplanetary. That doesn't that doesn't work. That doesn't no. work. No, it's, yeah. no, I agree. False dichotomy. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, starting, I mean, in terms of, because I'm the same, like I, I, I'm not going to discount everything out there because I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to discount it because I believe that there is more out there. But in terms of the narrative that's come out of the US since the 40s, um, I'd say that that's where the ruse is. And, yeah. and, and to dig deeply uh, and to actually find out why and how, which is kind of what you've done in your book, um, is excellent. And that's what I've been trying to do too. And it's the psychology behind why they do it and the social engineering elements and right, the right. idea of this, uh, the globalization, like the, the one world religion stuff. Well, that's really fascinating. And to see it laid out. I mean, if you guys, do you guys want to sort of run through your, your theory on yeah. that? Yeah, That'd sure. be great. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, you want, you want me to dive into uh, in particular, the, the, uh, the UFO phenomena and, and, uh, yeah. Uh, the view of it as okay as a terrestrial based manipulation. Well, um, most uh, most ufological and uh, science fiction narratives depict extraterrestrials as the products of biological evolution, and like all other organisms, almost supposedly uh, uh, the, the every every single every single organism, in se- including uh, the alleged extraterrestrials or aliens, supposedly arose from primordial soups. Not unlike the ones that we allegedly uh, arose from here on Earth, um, and naturally, this narrative appeals to the pre predominantly uh, materialistic and atheistic sensibilities uh, here in the West. Yet, simultaneously, and for reasons that are not quite clear, extraterrestrials are also often portrayed as ethereal and spiritually advanced beings, as is evidenced by. The tacitly uh, angelic presentation of uh, interplanetary visitors in uh, Steven Spielberg's *Close Encounters of the uh, Third Kind*. Um, mm-hmm. in, in that particular in that particular film, uh, aliens are depicted as angelic, and uh, this angelic motif uh, we, we see it reiterated time and time again in several uh, science fiction. Uh, narratives and also reiterated within the uh, ufological community. Um, that angelic motif likely originated with a man by the name of Jacob Elevi. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correct. It's spelled I L I V E, Elevi. And he was an Enlightenment uh, era pamphleteer and a printer who promulgated this odd neo Gnostic uh, narrative uh, somewhere between 1730 and 1750. And this narrative can be found in works such as the uh, layman's uh, vindication of the Christian religion 
and the oration spoke at Joiner's Hall. And therein, Elevi transposes the eschaton of heaven and hell into the vacuum separating celestial bodies, which of course mm-hmm. is space. So you kind of have the amanitization of uh, the amanitization of the eschaton in uh, Vogelian terms, uh, and I'm referring to Eric Vogelin there. But um, Levy basically echoes the cosmological pessimism of the uh, ancient Gnostics, uh, claiming that Earth is, in his words, uh, a hell, uh, that is to say, a place that is inferior to heaven. And he expressed this uh, distinctly disteleological contention that Earth is bereft of any purpose. No order of beings was created to uh, populate the Earth, in his words. And mm-hmm. so you see this disteleological contention. There is no talos, uh, telos uh, for the earth. There is no purposive end towards, with the, towards which the earth is supposed to strive. And so obviously a disteleological world, it, 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 one which without purpose and meaning is a chaotic one and probably an evil one, as you see portrayed in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's work. Um, mm-hmm. This demonic portrayal of the world was clearly derivative of ancient Gnostic cosmology, which basically resulted from the Gnostics' assignment of a positive ontological status to evil. Basically, the ancient Gnostics understood evil in terms of ontology instead of moral orientation. Evil was not viewed really as a tendency of the will, as it was in the patristic view, um, but it was viewed as an actual animated essence that interwove itself into creation. So the curse and creation were ontologically inseparable. And this uh, understanding of corruption contrasted sharply with the patristic view, which held that uh, evil was not some independent substance. Um, instead, evil constituted a negation of being. And as such, it held no place among the existent. So while its effects are painfully real, evil is not real in and of itself. Evil can be analogized to cold. Um, Cold does not possess a positive ontological status. There's not a concrete thing living in the world known as cold. Um, But cold just really is, is this condition that's precipitated by the absence of heat. Cold mm-hmm. exists only as a privation of warmth. And that's uh, that's not to say, again, that cold is illusory. Its effects are real, as is evidenced by hypothermia, other cold-induced uh, medical emergencies. But cold itself does not exist as a tangible reality. And likewise, evil itself does not exist as a tangible reality. Instead, it affects tangible reality through the intangible will, which it infects through a privation of good. So evil's point of origin is the intangible will, not the uh, tangible world. But neither Levy uh, Levy or his uh, Gnostic antecedents understood this fact. And so they conflated creation with the curse and concluded that the world was hell. But this cosmological pessimism logically segued into an anthropological pessimism. Uh, Elevi divested man of his unique position as Imago Dei, or a divine image bearer uh, for whom God had created Earth as this lovely cosmic bequest. Instead, Elevi declared that man was an apostate angel 
imprisoned in the corporeal penitentiary of the uh, physical body. Um, mm -hmm. in, in order to uh, escape bodily confinement and transcend the penal colony of the world, man had to undergo some vaguely defined uh, uh, earthbound uh, test. It was like purgatory, his, his own version of purgatory. And upon completion of the purgatorial trial, man would spiritually ascend to other uh, planets, which Alevi claimed uh, were basically empyrene, uh, empyrene habitations. Um, and in support of that claim, Alevi uh, cited uh, John chapter 14, verse 2, wherein uh, Jesus says, in, in my father's house are many mansions. And basically, Levy redefined the many mansions comprising the father's house as off-world habitations that were possibly populated by intelligent life. And this was precisely uh, the same contention expressed by a Royal Society member, William Durham. And uh, it was Durham's contention that uh, Dutch astronomer Christian Jurgens had actually uh, observed humanoid life forms uh, scurrying along the surface of planets that he viewed through his massive telescope. But this Enlightenment cameo of extraterrestrials and the corresponding theological view that it spawned basically established the overall hermeneutic, the, the interpretive lens through which the uh, modern UFO phenomena would be understood. Suddenly, the eschaton was transposed into the Amanit, the Amanit sphere, and it's situated among the stars. So heaven, hell, angels, demons, God are suddenly redefined as the, extra, uh, the extraterrestrial occupants of the physical universe. And this neo-gnostic portrayal of space pervades the views that typically circulate within the ufological community, which is extremely susceptible to uh, manipulation by deep state uh, operatives, dark elements of the intelligence community. Um, according to uh, James Her Herrick uh, in his book, uh, Scientific Mythologies, Alevi was a possible influence on Church of uh, the Church of Mormon founder Joseph Smith. Yeah, and I was going to go with that when they say the, everybody gets their own world, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you die, you get your own planet. And also Scientology with L. Ron Hubbard, how we're all nothing more than we're nothing more than uh, uh, receptacles for thetans, thetans oh, right. being apostate and angels. Yeah, it didn't dissipate. It didn't disappear from the marketplace of ideas and in, in as uh, in the UFO marketplace. I mean, if you go straight up to the time of uh, of Jim Jones, who had all sorts of curious connections to covert political circles. I mean, when he was in Brazil, the people were convinced that he was working for the Central Intelligence Agency and everything. But, but you know, you look at his theology and he said that there's all these socialist paradise out there and we have to do good works here to get to those socialist paradises, you know, so among the stars uh, on other planets that, you know, yeah, get so, to these and, and, socialist utopias on other planets. Yeah. So an interplanetary communist manifesto, if you will. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. But but all of all of those theologies are derivative of and you can see the, the shared you know common elements derivative of Elevi's uh, interplanetary latter day interplanetary uh, Gnosticism. You also uh, see that interplanetary uh uh, Latter-day Gnosticism being expressed by John Lash, 
who was a Gnostic revival, who basically posited an ongoing period of synchronicity between the discovery of the Nag Hammadi codices and great wave of UFO sightings that occurred in the summer and fall of 1947. It was, uh, in Lash's view, it was this pattern of events that foreshadowed the emergence of a Gnostically inspired religion that would supplant Christianity. And basically uh, Hallmark's uh, centerpieces of this uh, new religion would be an anthropocentric soteriology, self-salvation, and uh, a veneration of the goddess Sophia, who of course is uh, the uh, hypostatization of wisdom. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, it was uh, uh, the the individual who was most uh, uh, most responsible for the popularization of the Gnostic codices that John Lash viewed as being so significant, um, and and their uh, revelation being synchronicitous with the uh, uh, UFO flap of 1947 was none other than Carl Hume and. Uh, Hume was fascinated by uh, UFOs, and he also he characterized the uh, phenomenon as a living myth. And Hume basically co- uh, contended that the very shape of the flying saucer provided a visual correlative for the infinite circle to which uh, Nicholas of Cusa likened God. Um, he basically said, yeah, God is a circle whose center is everywhere and the circumference nowhere God is uh, uh, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and a, uh, a totality symbol par excellence. And UFOs could be easily, uh, because of the circular shape of the of their craft or their alleged craft, could be easily conceived as gods. And and Carl Hune was probably one of the transmission belts for these occult ideas related to you uh, to UFOs into the um, into the um, mystery schools. Well, well, into the uh, the deep state, into the uh, ah. modern day deep state. See, because um, Carl Hune had a relationship uh, with um, with none other than Alan Dulles, who was the DCI until he was fired by Kennedy. And I mean, they even shared a mistress between the two of them, Mary Bancroft, who was like, you know, spying on the two of them and reporting back to one another. <laughs> and all, but like this symbiosis that existed between the two. Um, suggest you know that 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 those ideas seeped into um Dulles's thinking and contributed to to um Dulles's manipulation of the of of ufological circles because he did he played a role in the Adamski contactee uh myth he played a role in constructing that and mm-hmm. um you know played a role in um in a few other um instance, instances of UFO uh, manipulation and and it's quite possible that his a source of inspiration for him was none other than uh, than Carl Hune uh, Henry Davidson Davidson who was uh, the scient- uh, a scientist even suggested that um, that Dulles was was um, pulling liberally from uh, from Carl Hune when he uh, concocted uh, um, De- um, Adamski's uh, visitation contact experience in the desert and brother, as a, the brotherhood contest yeah right and, and as a result and as a result um you know uh davidson was targeted 
by the Central Intelligence Agency. You know, he was he was one of the few UFO researchers that they looked at with a hostile eye. You know, they didn't they didn't uh, regard the other um, you, they didn't uh, regard like Kehoe. They thought they 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 the CIA had very a very high opinion of Donald Kehoe. But like at one point, a CIA officer by the name of Frank Chapin went so far as to imply that Davidson had been a um, like a like had had been a um, uh, an agent of a foreign power or something like that, or had possessed all these ulterior motives, and that and you know this accusation that Chapin was making led to the proposal that you know that that. Uh, that the FBI should conduct an investigation on on Davidson, you know. And what I've said what I've said before is that you know Chapin his his accusation and his proposal for the for for this greater degree of deep state scrutiny of of uh, Henry Davidson is kind of analogous to a bombing raid. And during a bombing raid, the bomber always knows that it's close to target when it's getting the most flack. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so Davidson D- Davidson was hitting very close to the mark. He right. was hitting there. He might not have been getting all the, you know, every every piece of the puzzle, but he was getting, you know, he was he was hitting some somewhere near close to an Achilles heel. So, well, so but, here's a good segue for that. Sorry to interrupt you, but one of my oh, questions no, no was have you have you guys gotten any of that flack? John Luke and, and I were talking was, you know, have you guys hit the nail on, on a lot of heads. <laughs> so have you guys used yourselves uh, received any flack? Um, do you mean like uh, any kind of like um, detected kind of scrutiny by scrutiny by the uh, intelligence agency? Yeah, yeah intelligence knocks on the doors, you know, yeah, um, any kind of campaign against you, any kind yeah. of <laughs> Not, nothing, nothing like that, but mostly just, um, a dismissal outright by people that just want to that that want to look at the U of I mean again look at it through that dialectic yeah you know of of that it's either just you know hoax and and natural phenomena that are just that we distort with our interpretations or or it's or it's interplanetary and you know right. and yeah. and there's no and you know this excluded middle you know they don't want to consider that so you know a lot of uh, a lot of ufo true believers and by that i mean they just they they flat out accept wholesale extraterrestrials from other physical planets they really hate a lot of what we're saying you know and and at, a, at one point i like uh uh calavito jason calavito kind of took oh, jesus yeah <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to say anything else. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, how about like the intelligence agencies? No. They mess around with that. Yeah, nothing, nothing of the sort from them. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I don't think we're that we're important enough to them. Of course, uh, I mean, don't be so you know, sure. it, it, here's here's the thing with that too is that okay, um, you know, I've done some interviews with some people like I, I interviewed Jimmy Rothstein years ago, years ago, you know, the former NYPD vice detective who was involved in a lot of, uh, a lot of these high profile, the Profumo case, he was involved in that. He was involved with son of Sam to an extent, a lot of these cases with, um, that, that 
led into these different deep straight deep state tributaries you know you know mm-hmm. uh, i did an interview with him I, uh, I i did an interview with the gentleman i can't remember his name richard sauter i can't remember but he was the individual that was based he was he was with nasa at the time and was warning nasa about the o-rings and they wouldn't listen because they were so they they were so gung ho the 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 Reagan administration and NASA was so gung ho to get this this Challenger mission going because it was supposed to act as kind of a a, a platform for 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 uh, militarizing space right. and 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 it led to the explosion of the Challenger and then they the subsequent cover up and you know and he was involved but outside of those two interviews I can't say that I really harbor any kind of like. Um, Contact. contacts of any sort. We don't have those kind of, I mean, like a lot of what we have, you can glean from open source intelligence. Yeah. Like open source yeah, intelligence yeah. means that I can pick up the, the newspaper, open it up and read it if yeah. I'm so inclined. You know, it's just that it's it's the the the, the information is taken and placed through a um, an interpretive lens you know, and synthesized in a way that, you know, not yeah. everybody, you know, yeah, does. disparate threads well, drawn it's together. A skill, it's a skill to be able to drag uh, what seemingly seem like disparate sort of pieces of information and pull them together. Um, yeah. Seeing the pattern, seeing how it fits together and then bringing it in. And it is a great skill. Um, I mean, in terms of like, you know, you're talking about the idea that this these sorts of ideas, these occult ideas were taken on by the deep state as a way to... Well, to to what aim? What aim are we looking at here? Well, um, <clears throat> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of human uh, deception involved in the UFO um, in the in the uh, in the in the UFO phenomena. There, there's a lot of uh, deception involved, and one of the ways that you bring an air of authenticity to that, you can only you can only bring a certain amount of authenticity to the deception using regular research and development, regular advanced R and D and all. Eventually you're going to have to have something that truly is um, otherworldly in nature to convince, you know, the population that this is an actual extraterrestrial experience. So what do you do? You, you weaponize, things like the occult you 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 know um you you turn to the occult to to help um to help make that uh that ufo deception came campaign more more um more convi- convincing and also you know what we find is we find guys like john b alexander we find guys like hal putoff we find um, individuals like the recently uh, deceased Michael Aquino and a, on a whole list of other individuals who are not only deep state actors, but practitioners of the occult. And, you know, if if you're if you're in the deep state, you might not give a damn how they're doing this. You just know it works. And you tell them, look, guys. Do something, you know, because we're trying to deceive the public concerning the UFO phenomena. So work your magic, and they right. and they and they do it, you know. And I, I so, brought and, up earlier. I, uh, sorry to chime no. in, but I brought up earlier the fact that uh, uh, the uh, extraterrestrial myth, uh, the beyond, invoked as extraterrestrial gods, uh, especially appeals to the materialistic and 
atheistic sensibilities that are so predominant here in the West. And what's interesting is, is also here in the West, you've seen um, an explosion uh, commensurate with uh, the secularization of the culture, an explosion of uh, cults and occultism. Well, why is that? Well, the reason being is because, um, in the words of, of David Bentley Hart, um, who is a, a, an Orthodox philosopher, although many of Orthodox theologian would be at variance with much of what he says. I'm at variance with much of what he says, but nevertheless, he does correctly. Uh, he does correctly identify this. Uh, he 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 makes it clear that magic is essentially a species of materialism um, because the the view of these forces is not that they are transcendent in the theological sense, but instead that they are ha- inhabitants of subtler tiers of the material order. There is no transcendent order. There's only the emanant sphere. There's only the, uh, uh, the sphere of matter, uh, the material world, and that these are just forces that happen to occupy the subtle, subtler tiers of that order. And this uh, particular view uh, came into being um, because of uh, Sir Francis Bacon. Um, mm-hmm. Sir, Fra- Sir Francis Bacon, who, of course, was uh, a mem- member of a, a secret order known as the uh, Order of the Helmet, I believe it was, which, um, and it was also a student of uh, Neoplatonism, of Gnosticism, of uh, Hermeticism, Hermeticism I, yeah. Yeah, of Kabbalah. But Sir Francis Bacon, what he did was he divested the cosmos of a telos, a purposive end. Again, we have this disteleological view. So there is no purpose, no meaning um, th- that can be found within the cosmos, which, by the way, is a self-refuting uh, pro- uh, proposition to make because how does one meaningfully convey the proposition that all is meaningless? You can see where it's, <laughs> it's self-refuting. That's uh, Ouroboros it, it, right there. <laughs> right. It, it's interesting. Like, you know, philosophers of that particular ilk, like, uh, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, devote 500 plus pages to the topic of meaninglessness. And I'm like, well, <laughs> how, how do I, how do I take this tome you've written as meaningful? So, <laughs> at any But this rather uh, cynical attitude was reiterated by Heidegger, who characterized nature as or a standing reserve. Uh, you have the view that uh, matter now is nothing but this malleable standing reserve that, that can be re-sculpted. And the physical universe is basically nothing more. It's, an, it's analogous to a block of, uh, uh, block of clay. And that's why, that's why you see now this mentality has also, this mentality is pervasive here in the uh it's pervasive here in the uh west uh, you recall uh the film thor um mm-hmm. the yeah. comics film thor well remember what thor says to uh to natalie portman's character he says you know from my the world from whence i came i'm paraphrasing loosely magic and science are one in the same mm-hmm. and, uh, and and uh um um there was also uh uh i believe it was the sorcerer's apprentice um, um, which with Nicolas Cage, 
Oh, Nicholas yeah. Cage. Right. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a Nick Cage movie, and uh, he plays a he plays a, uh, a magician by the name of Balthazar Blake, and he's he has this new uh, uh, this new apprentice, and the apprentice is asking him, "Well, what is this? What it, yeah? What is this that we're we're using? Is it magic or is it science?" And he says, "Yes, and yes." That's that's why you see the explosion of cults and occultism with, commensurate with secularization here in the West. Yeah. So that is the view that the uh, that the uh, intelligence uh, community takes. It doesn't matter to them whether or not it's transcendent in the uh, uh, in the theological sense or not. Whether or not these these are other planes of existence, all that matters to them is uh, because works. they're cynical. Yeah, they're cynical pragmatists. It works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, how else you got to sacrifice fifty cats. Seriously, it's yeah, terrible, but they don't if, care. Yeah, yes. if if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a deep state actor who's going around invoking all these diabolical forces, and I and just it works. It, yeah, and I present it to my bosses, and I say, "There's science behind this. It just hasn't. We haven't figured out the mechanics yet. Science will catch up with this." But there's a there is a scientific explanation for it, and all, and it and it works. Yeah, my boss is going to say, "Well, make it so," and you know, and and it there and it goes on out from there. I mean, like, and that's how. I mean, case in point uh, would be like with Betty Barney, Betty and Barney Hill case. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of facets of that case that suggested mind control, and I mean, at mm -hmm. one point, Be Betty is getting, yeah. At one point, Betty's getting upset, and like one of the aliens starts rubbing their hands like this, and it starts to calm her down. And um, you know that's kind of a, a hypnotic technique. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of it had the trappings of MK Ultra. If you look at MK Ultra, none of what they were doing is considered scientific method. I mean, like, no. like um, no. uh, shocking people, you know, shooting them full of insulin, you know, sensory deprivation feedback loop playing over and over again tapes to yeah, these as people. As a matter of fact, the Human Ecology Fund, which was part of the yeah. infrastructure of, of MK Ultra, they actually went to shamans, they went to yeah. uh, uh, sorcerers, what have you. Well, but none of what I just, none of those techniques that I just mentioned to you would be recognized by a scientist as, as something scientific and all. Right. Most of it would be recognized by the mystery religions, by adherence to mystery religions, by adherence to her um, hermetic traditions and all, by those kind of those those esoteric groups, they would instantly recognize it as their practices. So mm -hmm. those lines you know, don't ever recross. I mean, they're now yeah. starting to in the UFO account, you know, community a little bit, but not any great deal. But the but the two never showed me, you know, from what I've seen, like you said before, it's either space brothers from out of space or it's Arctic, but the, the occult and, and ufology is just now sprinkling, you know, you get a little yeah. bit of hints here yeah. there. One of the things with the Benny Barney Hill thing that really gets me and John Luke and I talk about this thing is that she saw a Nazi. On yeah. That, that, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, Nobody and, talks and about Barney, that. Full Nazi hat, yeah. everything, right? And and, yeah. and and Barney even says at one part they're they're Nazis they're Nazis you know and yeah. you know regression yeah right so, and uh, I mean like one of the people that kind of hid this aspect of the of the Betty and Barney Hill case 
um, she, they were visited by an investigator by the name of C.D. Jackson. And we're pretty sure that that was C.D. Jackson, who was the primary factotum to Henry Luce, who started Time Life uh, magazine. And Time Life mm-hmm. magazine was just rife with UFO stories back in the day. And, you know, and yeah. um, Time Life magazine uh, is not just your regular average kind of news journal kind of media organ. It's it was it's a mouthpiece for the um, for the establishment, you know, because Henry Luce, he was skull and bones. He was uh, he was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. C.G. C.D. Jackson was involved in several different intelligence operations in South and Central uh, America, and all you know they were they were tied in with the Dulleses and the and the Rockefellers, you know, and so you know. Yeah, that it, it it they 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 kind of airbrushed these things out, but when you go back and you look at it, you say, hey, there was some manipulation going on here, mm-hmm. and some of that manipulation was may have been occultism at that because you know these these guys, other than being deep state uh, actors, they're also I mean you you go back to the old terms, sorcerers, magicians, mages, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, shamans, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So what? So just go. Let's focus on the uh, Betty Barney Hill for for a second. Okay. So under hypnosis, um, Barney Hill says he saw a Nazi. Okay. Um, prior to that, before he was abducted, he said he saw lights in the sky that came up alongside the car. Um, and before that, he heard from what he thought was from the boot of his car a rhythmical beeping sound, which all sounds like hypnotic. Yeah, right, right. Hit him with rhythmical sounds, Mm -hmm. lights, I'm guessing from some form of, I don't know, helicopter or maybe some secret tech. Right. There is a mystery to this, into the technique that how they did this, because we're going back to the 50s and they're obviously using some. So, yeah, but this is my question to you guys, because you're very well educated on this. So tell me what you think. Well, what's interesting also is that Betty and Barney Hill were very uh, much active uh, in the uh, civil rights movement. And civil rights movement was being targeted by none other than COINTELPRO. Yeah, which was the the FBI's counterintelligence uh, operations against the new left. And so, you know, so they had probably been under surveillance for quite some time. And so, you know, these these deep deep state elements within the FBI, you know, you know, we're keeping tabs on them. And at some point, you know, just what's, what's, what's an ad, what, when's it advantageous to move? And they moved in and, you know, but I agree with you. I think that it was largely a matter of uh, hypnotic implantation, you know, implantation, you know, through yeah, hypnosis, false memories. you know, uh, the, the, the whole entire experience, you know, you know, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think necessarily that there might have been a ship uh, per se or anything like that. I think that they might have been taken somewhere where the memories were being, you know, in, in, were being implanted, you know, through mm-hmm. through hypnosis and all these different techniques and all. But like, you know, was, but there might not have even been a a, a real, you know, f- flying saucer involved at all, mm-hmm. you know. In my mind, I always thought maybe it was some kind of early helicopter. <laughs> maybe, but you're right. It could have all been done in some kind of laboratory, you know, or some kind of uh, secret 
destination. And I don't remember his name, but if I recall the individual that was overseeing the hypnotic, the, the hypnosis, yeah, the, the, the sessions was mm. actually an Air Force intelligence officer. And I can't remember mm. his name offhand right. and all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, it's it's hard to get to the truth of what really happened when you have these people there that are, you know, guiding and coaching them along, you know, mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. using hypnosis, using um, using techniques of where you get a person to put their will to one side and, you know, suggest something to them. And that's what they pair. Didn't Stanton Friedman also try to skewer or, or skew the uh, the interpretation of his of the uh, hypnotic uh, sessions? Well, he just he didn't he kind of just dismissed out of hand the fact that it was um, seen overseen by Air Force intelligence. I mean, like. Yeah. Stan, Stanton Friedman was always passing it all off as as being Zeta Reticulans or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, what I found funny about the Barney Hill case too is that when he remembered being taken onto the ship, the people that took him onto the ship were wearing denim jeans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've got Nazis, denim jean-wearing Zeta Reticulans. <laughs> like, it's it's <laughs> a party. Yeah. Yes, with zippers and build caps, you know, yeah. But they're space zippers. Yeah, it's it's space. Space. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like Velcro. something real wrong at the party. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, for me, I mean, like, what I've found is that nearly every single case that I've ever, and I've done it for a long time now, that I delve into, you're right, there's always a link to either Air Force intelligence, Navy, naval intelligence. They've, all, they've always got, like, an uncle or a cousin or a brother who's part of it, or they've been it themselves. Yeah, um, even the uh, most well-known, like uh, Whitley Strieber's, oh yeah, his history is just fucking. And the fun. occult links to that yeah. stuff is just out or, is outrageous. But or, he wears it on his Strieber wears it on his sleeve. I mean, does, it's yeah. it's almost like if you can actually read, it's not even a secret what happened there, is it? <laughs> but, but like in um, the Cash Landrum case, you know, yeah, there's this bizarre thing in the sky, and it causes them to have radiation sickness. But then there's these scores and scores of black helicopters, you know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, well, are aliens flying around military choppers now? You know, so, you know, well, you, you never always, know. Yeah. <laughs> you, always, you always find this hint of human agency. And yeah. in some of the cases, you also find a hint of occultism, you know, that's Absolutely. probably being used by the human agency and all. But it's still otherworldly. I mean, when you're talking about poltergeist uh, phenomenon, you know, and 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 um, and a psychic kind of activity, they're speaking to me, but they're not. Their mouths aren't moving. I'm just mm -hmm. hearing them in my head. That sort of thing. You know, it's suggestive that you know there's human agency there, but they're employing occult um, occult practices, which is very dangerous, by the way, for even for the deep state actors that are doing this, because. I mean, at this point, they're they're um, they're basically meddling with forces with with which they, they don't, don't understand. Yeah, they don't dictate the terms to these things. Right. And you know, and I mean, um, Charles Upton, the perennialist, who's written several books over the UFO phenomenon from a kind of perennialist perspective. He wrote Cracks in the Great Wall, and just recently. Um, one over UFO disclosure about the disclosure movement. Uh, I, I can't remember uh, the subtitle is metaphysics of social engineering and all, but he points out that, you know, um, 
um, demons, if you will, you know, diabolic negative entities and all have have a way of letting the sorcerer or the magician or whatever get they give them the false impression that they are the ones casting the spells that they are the yeah. ones controlling that they're the ones controlling the phenomena when in truth the 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 tail is what's wagging the dog and they yeah. learn that far too late they've learned that all altogether far too late so it's hard let to me put ask shit back in the box, right? I've got a yeah. question for you. So the way that you're talking here makes me think that you believe that in a demonic element. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know. uh, yeah, me yeah, too. I, I, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to. I'm not going to claim to understand every aspect of that. But I mean, when you're when you're reading um, books like um, like Demonic Foes, which was written by a psychiatrist who you know, he doesn't conduct exorcisms, but, you know, he's a, he's just, he's a psychiatrist that is consulted by exorcists. And so he's been present at exorcisms. Or if you're mm-hmm. reading the now legendary book by, um, by Malachi Martin, who gets unfairly skewed and ridiculed a lot, you know, mm-hmm. hostage to the devil. And you're, and you're comparing the case studies in those books with what you read in um, say passage to Magonia or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. is some of the cases that are brought up in there, you see this uncanny, this un—I mean, all these parallels and yeah. also the and and so it's suggestive that that at, in in at least some cases the the you know demonic possession or some degree of demonic influence. Let's just call it that, you know, whether it be oppression, obsession or possession and all it's it's the exact same thing as as what's going on in 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 these uh you know these abduction cases or these contacts to be doesn't it i mean yeah for example whitley Strieber, his case um you know he was abducted apparently that when you look at the dates of when it happened it was in the equinox um so you've already got occult dates coming into play on there uh his background being I mentioned this in the in our messaging before we came online, but I was interested in how Wicca connects through to a lot, a lot of this, and I guess it just does because it's part of occult practices. Yeah. Um, but that feeds into the Scientology element too, the idea of utilizing these mystical um, abilities and ideas, yeah. but using and, them in a way to control. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and- and, and, and it's hard in cases like Whitley Strieber's, you know, or, or other cases where there seems to be occultism somehow involved. I know at one point he thinks he likens one of the aliens to Ishtar and everything, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's hard. It's hard to flesh out just one single esoteric tradition. Usually you see a mixture of yeah. all these different. And the reason for that, we believe, is because if you going back to the um, the study in deep politics and the study in uh, covert political circles. If you look at if you look at the different um, the different oligarchical dynasties and the different um, and the different um, cri- criminal um, uh, intelligence circles or the or the different retainers for the oligarchs and all, you don't see them just 
picking one path and no, staying no. with that. Instead, they take a hodgepodge. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. I'm going to borrow over here from well, Freemasonry. I'm going to take right. from the Rosicrucians on right. this. If, and oh, oh, this Satanism, really, this is the hardcore yeah. stuff. This yeah. I can really weaponize this. Yeah. And also, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Becomes your, you, you, it becomes your salad bar, yeah, your you toxic salad bar. Right. <laughs> you take, you take, it's uh, an occult potpourri. If you read up on uh, mystical imperialism, mystical imperialism was, you know, a movement that sought to uh, unify all of the disparate factions of the uh, British uh, Empire so that they would, you know, come together as one unified force. And what they did, they were, they were syncretist. Uh, the mystical, mystical imperialists were syncretist and they drew from, they drew from Masonic uh, traditions. They drew from Hermeticism. They drew from just yeah, uh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky seemed to be their foundational text there, yeah. and all. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, they had a lot of all, all these Orientalists that were working in service and service to the British elites that added and oh. just heaped on uh, lots of other things. Uh, it threw a lot of other things into the mix, and all mm. again because they thought it would work. They thought, well, you know, we we got to get rid of this factionalism if we're going to have rule Britannia, if we're going to have Pax Britannia, you know, we're mm. going to have you know this this world government and all. Um, so what 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 all what are the most efficacious aspects of each tradition? Let's take it all and like stick it together and mm-hmm. act and act like it will mix, mm-hmm. you know, and all, which. Um, Christianity. <laughs> starting, so starting with um, the Theosophical Society as a basis and their influences, that being used, utilised in terms of um, the intelligence services. I mean, it's well known that the Theosophical Society have always been a part of that play ever since the great game in Asia in the, oh, yeah, right, absolutely. In the early 19th century. It, it had a profound effect on the thinking of, um, of um, Cecil Rhodes, who really mm. started? Who really started? You know, um, the deep state circles that he started over there with the round tables and with the Royal Institute of International Affairs really contributed to our own, to our own deep state. Because in a lot of respects, uh, groups such as the Council on Foreign Relations or or Bilderberg, which are seen as coming more out of an American trajectory, uh, th- those are really. It, to some extent, stateside sister groups of the, you know, it's, 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 our, it's our, it's our partners across the pond, so to speak. Well, it's the same way as Freemasonry. And if you look at the Freemason structure, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a Freemason. But um, so the Grand Lodge of England gave us the, our charter in America to, to charter our lodges here. Right. So, but, but still, it still goes back to the Grand Lodge of England. Right. So, Everything from seventeen seventeen, you know, comes down that way. That that lineage, right? So, if you use that as an example, of course. So, all the theosophy, OTOs, whatever the hell, you know, they always derive from somebody who's the source. You know, can right, put your right. stamp on something and give it to you. It's the official <laughs> source, but but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. And that's yeah. you know one of the questions I had with the Freemasonry. You know, I got in to Freemasonry because I thought it was like, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to just bust all these secrets out. I'm going to tell everybody about all this bullshit, but I found <laughs> it to be amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's well, been great for me, uh, but well, I mean, I mean, I can imagine it probably is because I spend most of my spare time reading these books anyway. And just, you know, it's, if there's an organization that helps you expand your 
your mind and is a way yeah. to discuss these ideas. It's got to be, it's got to be some positives there. Yeah. With, but, with, with us, there's a benign and there's a pernicious strand there and all, mm. but they're not all the same. You know, there's right. some, there are some lodges that act as conduits for elitist interest. I mean, obviously, propaganda way is not a P2. Yeah, it's, right. it's yeah. not, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's not, you know. But then there's there's other there's other lodges that are just, they're, they're lodges and they remain fraternities and that's all they are for yeah. the, the length of time that they're in existence and mm-hmm. all, you know. Um, I know that I, I really... I, I really have my misgivings about the whatever strand, whatever variant Christopher Mellon comes out of, because I mean, the Mellon, yeah, the Mellon family, you know, uh, um, Thomas Mellon, who started the family and all, uh, you know, well, kind of the patriarch of the family, he was part of the whole Pittsburgh Scottish Irish industrial community. And that mm-hmm. whole community was started uh, by, by Freemasons. And all, and he would he he collaborated with a lot of Freemasons like uh, Henry Clay Frick, who was an infamous industrialist who who li- loved to bust the unions and and you know was just you know basically you know uh, uh, kind of um, uh, yeah he 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 was he was um, 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 a cartel capitalist in embryo kind of you know um, he but uh, you know. Um, if you look at so so there was this Freemasonic kind of pedigree that runs through the the Mellon family, mm-hmm. and you know and of course then there historically Paul Mellon Richard Mellon Scaife historically these guys all lots of Mellons were involved in the intelligence community. So mm-hmm. when it come came time for Christopher Mellon <clears throat> to um, to put together the the uh, SOCOM the, the Special Operations Command. And all which, you know, JSOC is um, basically kind of an appendage of or a subset of, you know, these 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 guys that are involved in unconventional warfare and really morally questionable covert activities. He might have drawn some inspiration from from whatever strand of Freemasonry was, you know, was prevalent in his family and all, because if you if you look at. If you look at USOCOM, if you look at JSOC and all their stovepipe organizations, which means it's it's a strict top-down kind of um, command structure where where orders and information drop from from the top to the bottom and all and 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 it's all need to know and there's no sh- there's no sharing of information with any other organizations it's very secretive and the so the people at the ground level of that structure don't know anything except what they're told and that's dangerous that's dangerous mm-hmm. and so and i think that that stovepipes that, that stovepipe organizational or, or, schematic yeah that organizational uh, schematic that stovepipe schematic might have come out of whatever masonry um, the melons were involved in. Well, in I, I mean, I wonder because, like, I mean, we did. Quite, I've done quite a lot of work into Paul Mellon and what he was doing. You know, his his connections to Carl Jung um, and the Bollinger Society and the Bollinger Foundation. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you know that we're quite good friends with uh, Paul oh, Mellon's grandson, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you know John. Yeah. 
Uh, no, yeah. I saw I saw your interview with John Warren the Fourth and everything. When we were going to yeah. go on the show, I was like, I better watch the show and see what you know what all you're <laughs> talking about, so that I can you know prep properly so that I can get the proper notes and everything. And I saw, Oh, there's John Warner. And, you know, and I recognized him from the time that he's been on with a uh, dark journalist. And I really, I like, yeah. I, I like Mr. Warner because he doesn't, he, he, he's like, he's like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He's a renegade from the, from the rest of the dynasty. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't, he doesn't follow everything wholesale just because his mo mother was who she was. And, you know, and his father, you know, married into the melons. He's his own man. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. thing he said that yeah, he, he always just says that in, in terms of like kind of being in a in a Freemasons or in some kind of deep deep secret society, he says that he could never be it because he's never been a joiner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just he just does his own thing. He always yeah. gives me but, shit. Probably. He always gives me shit. Yeah. Like, but I tell you what, you know he probably, know, he probably knows as much about Freemasonry as any Freemason you're going to meet. He's he's worked very well educated on it. Um, yeah, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating when you actually go into that environment and you kind of you get a taste of kind of where it's coming from or down a family right. line. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's you know, that's interesting to see how that goes in the traditions role. And then you know, one of the questions I asked in our, in our chat was one of the big things that stood out for me when I saw everybody standing on stage, you know, when uh, DeLong brought everybody out like 17 or 16, it was like, it was like, who, how the hell do you put all these people together? The only thing I've ever seen that is in a Masonic lodge where I'm sitting next to a Senator and then a janitor. And then, you know, like it, there's no way you put these people together unless they have like a, a common thing. And masonry does that for a lot of people, you know, it, it does that. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, 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 Tom's a big Freemason. You, all these guys are Masons, and you just put them together to do this disclosure thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. When you're looking, when you when you're looking at um, at Freemasonry, I, I mean, the, the the temptation is there to um, to 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 look at it as monolithic, and it's not. And nothing. I mean, like, and and that's that's a danger in the research that we do. A lot of people look at it as monolithic, and that it all goes back to. I mean, it's 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 it all goes back to uh, Hans Stavros Blofeld just there stroking a white pussy cat, <laughs> telling everybody what to do. And that's not. It's it's not like you know, Spectre. Spectre was a literary device that Fleming used to try to to try to flesh out a a, a political phenomenon that. That's not easily articulated, you know, in the realm of fiction. And and he had to make, and, you know, that's just the way that he had to do it to make the Bond novels work. But that's not the way that the that the world works. You know, this mm -hmm. this lodge is not the same as this lodge over here. And, you know, right. one, one can be a conduit for a criminal uh, a criminal intelligence, um, you know, criminal in, in intelligence circles. Uh, this one here might be just a couple of middle-aged men that are watching stag flicks, you know, away from, you know, it, it, from like pancakes. Yeah. Really? Pancake breakfast coming up Sunday guys. <laughs> you know, that's seriously, that's, that's, that's how it is. You know, I've, so I've joined others, you know, so the SRICAF, which is the Rosicrucian branch of masonry, you know, and I joined that and that was, that's where the all the esotericism lies, right? So that's where all the, getting the esoteric fix. But the, but the rest of the lodge is, just, I mean, yeah, you, you know, 
get any of that flavor. But 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 you're right. Different lodges have different flavors where they're more esoteric. They're, these are more uh, you know just fraternal, like guys having fun. These are real charitable. They you do the pancake breakfast every Sunday. You know, like so right. there's that whole thing. But the tenets of a Freemasonry is kind of where I was going with the whole thing with DeLong and and everybody else is like you know the secrecy. You, you keep you take oaths. You keep secrets and all that stuff. And that's kind of like the intelligence agencies are as well falls into that category so i was trying to always piece that together to see where these guys came together or where they're leveraging the secret societies or the occult to, to push the narrative seems and, like yeah. you you guys are right about the hodgepodge effect though like because you got tom delong who i don't know which lodge he's from i think you have an idea don't you i know yeah, he's, he's actually joined a prince hall lodge which prince is the african-american hall. version of i thought that was african-american yeah so it is. i mean it is. But but they don't. He's whiter than the whitest uh, people. They don't. They don't um. let. Um, they let white guys in. I think he's a widow's son as well, uh, which is the motorcycle well, the the element of it. Yeah, widow's son lodge, Kansas. I have the number somewhere, but yeah, I figured you know I figured that out. Yeah, yeah. And but there are you know uh, people that are white that are widow in Prince Hall. But then you've got versa, right. Yeah. But then who have you got with him? You've got Hal Potter. So. Uh, I don't know what I he is now, but he was a Scientologist. On that, but yeah, he he yeah. used to be Scientology and everything and all. Yeah. Which I mean, again, again goes into uh, goes into the deep state there because uh, um, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, L. Yeah. Ron Hubbard was naval intelligence, but um, but um, uh, the the individual that headed up the political activist wing of the Central Intelligence Agency, his name escapes me, and his his partner was Bob Mandelstam in, in that. Um, wrote the game player. Wrote the game player. Uh, can't remember. And and they 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 well the the CIA had this project, and I can't remember occultism in high places. Yeah, occultism on yeah OHP occultism in high places, and what they wanted to do is they they recognized the fact that world leaders and and different political heads in different countries were heavily influenced by different charismatic occult uh, figures. You know, they were uh, they were uh, Nancy Reagan with her fortune tellers. Yeah, and, yeah, oh, Nancy yeah. Reagan yeah, with yeah, her yeah. astrologers yeah. and whatnot. So you know, so they wanted to you know control generally generally the the direction that these politicians and statesmen took, and all. And the best way to do that was reaching out to uh, to um, uh, to uh, occultists. And so um, they did this through OHP, uh, occultism and high places. And one of the first groups that they reached out to, they reached out to moral rearmament and Scientology and all. Wow. So, so yeah, I mean, there's always, I mean, like this, th- there's actually been some good Scientologist uh, publications that rail against the CIA. I mean, like a lot of what I've learned uh, about CIA involvement or possible CIA involvement in Jonestown came from uh, from Scientolo- uh, f- um, Scientologist uh, publications. But the irony is, is that they themselves, you know, have uh, have a connection there, and uh, and that they themselves are to a degree influenced by uh, mm. by uh, CIA. And all. I've seen, well, they, I've seen well, they themselves influence the CIA. I mean, there's there's also you know there's also the trick. Say, well, is it the CIA influencing the Scientology or is it vice versa? And it's probably a yeah. little bit of both. It's probably a symbiotic oh, yeah. relationship there. 
Have you noticed? Have you noticed things like with the co- the, the 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 new narrative, like the the Nimitz fleet stuff and the Tic Tac? All right. So from that, you've got Lou Elizondo and one of his Navy buddies going out and focusing on Catalina Island. Okay, so Catalina Island, when you look into it, was where L. Ron Hubbard wrote Dianetics. Crazy. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> L- yeah. <laughs> so there's a big focus on that. Uh, and then you've got the fact that L. Ron Hubbard was recruited into naval intelligence by Admiral Nimitz. So it's almost like there's a twilight language. It's almost being used to play mm-hmm. out into this new narrative. Very yeah. strange, yeah. James Shelby Downer, he was still alive, would have fun with that and everything. Like I know that with uh, with um, with Lou Elizondo, his his father was part of Brigade twenty five oh six, and this was one mm. of the this was um, a part of the Cuban exile community here that was used in the uh, in the Bay of Pigs, and it was started by none other than E. Howard Hunt, and E. Howard Hunt had floated UFO disinformation to um, Douglas Caddy when he was arrested on, you know, for Watergate. And Douglas Caddy was the lawyer for the Watergate burglars for a short time. And he basically told um, Caddy that, you know, that JFK had been killed because because of, you know, because of what he knew about it, about an alien presence here. So, you know, so um, this suggests to me that Lou Elizondo is part of a multi-generational um, UFO deception campaign, you know, that didn't just start with him, that started all the way back with, you know, with, if not his father, the people that his father were around because uh, Brigade 2506 was a, was was around people like E. Howard Hunt, like David Atlee Phillips, you know, um, all of those CIA individuals who um, we associate with the, with the harebrained schemes to remove Castro from Cuba. Mm. The second which, coming, which brings right. me on to part of the book that I really enjoyed. You talked about a guy called is it Richard Bissell? Oh, Richard M. Bissell. Bissell? Yeah, yeah. He, he was the one. He he was the one that supposedly found the land that um, Area Fifty One would be established on, and all. Mm. But Bissell is the guy that M. Stan, that Stanton Friedman turned to to authenticate the MJ-12 papers that he in all likelihood had gotten from, uh, from um, the, 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 who's the, uh, the author was in all likelihood Richard Doty or one of the other aviary set that, you know, that were feeding uh, William Moore all that disinformation. And also mm-hmm. Linda Moulton Howe. Yeah, yeah. Linda Moulton. Yeah, they fed uh, Linda Moulton Howe uh, disinformation too and everything. But uh, That's but, just their yeah. job. That's just like push fucking shit. Do you know when you look at these players, do you see like an ideolo- ideology sitting underneath it? Left, right, centrist. Like, I mean, do you, I mean, because well, everything there's, that, there's, there's, there's an ideology. point to the far right. Yeah, well, Oh yeah, there, there. Well, there were far right aspects that were far right. You know, uh, different deep state organizations with uh, a far right, a fascist, or a Nazi orientation for sure. You know, if you look at uh, at Corso, who wrote the day after Roswell, he was involved mm-hmm. with a, with a number of groups, the Shinshiki Knights of Malta, for instance. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he was involved with. With the Galen Org, which was started by Reinhard Galen, who was, you know, Nazi intelligence, went back and formed the Bundesnacht Riesendeist when uh, 
when we established West West um, uh, Germany and all. You know, he was he was involved. Also, Strom Thurmond. He was friends with Strom Thurmond, who was known as a kind of a representative of the American right. Uh, Liberty Lobby, uh, in particular, and all. But um, even with even with these even with these groups that have uh, these deep state actors with a with a fascist or Nazi orientation, you can't classify the whole thing as being right wing or left wing. The ideology mm-hmm. that you start to discern transcends um, conventional political thinking. You know, it it yeah. it, 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 it com- doesn't it doesn't comport with the standard. Uh, political spectrum of left and right. You know, really, um, they're, they're actually if you look at you know the power elite um, uh, individuals like you know Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, what have you. Uh, uh, these people, these people, and and, and uh, um, Quigley, Carol Quigley points this out in his uh, book, uh, The Tragedy and Hope. These people are equally as willing to collaborate with the communist as they are with anybody on the so-called far right, you know, whether it be fascist, what have you, and everything. The reason being is, is they are something of political syncretist. They amalgamate various ideologies. Um, um, they probably even funded uh, the rise of some ideologies, as is the case with communism, because it proves to be politically and socially advantageous. But they basically draw from these from these various ideologies. Yeah. But, the, Those, but, but the end game, the end game isn't like a neo-Soviet empire no. or the second right. coming right. of Adolf Hitler. Fourth and, Reich. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more it's more it's technocracy. It's technocracy which, which, more which so. has elements of, of both fascism and communism yeah, yeah. in I mean technocracy is basically it's 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 the appellation assigned to a system of governance which, by the way, we saw instantiated here recently, thanks to our public health experts like Fauci here in the United mm-hmm. States. It's it's a system of governance wherein technical and scientific experts rule by virtue of their alleged specialized knowledge. And these experts mm-hmm. occupy positions, lofty positions in economic and political institutions because they allegedly possess some vaguely defined uh, sociopolitical gnosis. You have this notion of, of secret knowledge now uh, ideologized, um, mm-hmm. and they, they understand the operations of the natural order. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I, I believe that Gnostic spirituality has been drawn upon so much as a uh, inspiration. If you look at Gnostic soteriology, ostensibly, ostensibly, it's extremely individualistic it's an individualist path you uh, you must find the way for yourself and you you're you must be you know the possessor of gnosis however the ends thereof if 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 you look at a, an ideological counterpart for it is collectivism because it always involves reabsorption into the pleroma where wherein you become part of this uh deific force uh the true divinity and uh, identities no longer encapsulated within individuals in the pleroma. And so you look at uh, the, the sociopolitical expression of that, it's collectivism, it's the state, it's the absolute state and the absorption of the individuals yeah. into the state. And that's why that soteriology, you see it ideologized, it, 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 that's why it's so uh, advantageous to promote it. Um, because it, it basically the, it, now it's viewed as the spiritual path for all of humanity. Mm. 
So, how close to that are, do you think we are? Because it looks like, we, like you said, we've we've gone we're, through we're, little we're test the, stages, and we're at the doorstep. We, if yeah, um, we are. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to um, to Fauci, you know, to Anthony Fauci and um, the now legendary interview that he gave, um, where he said, "Well, you know, if you have an art," paraphrasing. If you have an argument with me, it's not me that you're arguing with. It's science. science. He's he's elevating science, uh, a method, a method to the status of a veritable, veritable metaphysics. He is basically characterizing it as a gnosis. And the problem with that, too, is, is that uh, the science, science, in particular the natural sciences, is not the only means by which knowledge can be sought in any in any field. The natural sciences must concern themselves only with what is quantifiably and empirically demonstrable. And those epistemic constraints raise questions about the universal competence of the natural sciences. The, there, there are several things that cannot be scientifically proven, but they're perfectly rational to accept. For instance, metaphysical truths, such as the authenticity of the external world or the existence of minds apart from our own, your mind, my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. that that cannot be scientifically proven. Nevertheless, it's perfectly rational for us to uh, uh, to accept that belief, but as is evidenced by the discussion we're having right now. We know that or you have another one. Right, you, right. exactly. Explain consciousness. You explain exactly. when you're unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> you explain <laughs> consciousness, but we... Yeah. Right, right. Uh, mathematical, logical truths, they can't be proven by the natural sciences, but these truths are presupposed <laughs> by the natural sciences. And th- therefore, mm-hmm. attempts to prove them scientifically are just fruitless exercises in circular argumentation. Ethical beliefs, and that's very important, ethical beliefs cannot be scientifically proven. The natural sciences are descriptive. They are not prescriptive. Okay, mm-hmm. whether a descriptive claim is true or false is an empirical question, uh, but you can't empirically you can't empirically uh, observe uh, moral values. You do, there is not you, you don't see moral values walking down the street. They're intangible. Uh, ethical mm-hmm. claims are they or they're they're prescriptive or normal uh, normative, and they deal with things as they ought to be, not with things as they are. And the natural sciences, while they can describe historical atrocities, say like the Holocaust, they can't tell you why they were wrong. They can't tell you why they were wrong because these, these, these ethical claims are not the, the, the natural sciences hold no sovereignty over them. But that's, that's why we, we saw with, with uh, the enshrinement of technocracy here, in particular with Dr. Fauci and the, the uh, COVID hysteria, and everything we saw the reduction of human beings to nothing more than really just to just collections of behavioral repertoires um, that can be altered with the application of the proper uh, social and economic stimuli because that's all that science will recognize us as. Uh, as B.F. Skinner put it um, in, uh, 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 I believe it was a uh, uh, dignity uh, or uh, beyond. Uh, uh, beyond freedom and yeah, beyond freedom and dignity, as he put it, as he put it in that book, he 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 basically said science dehomunculizes man, man which was once a being that was defended by the literatures of uh, of uh, freedom of dignity. Now 
he is completely and totally divested of freedom and dignity. He becomes nothing more than uh, just a he becomes nothing more than just a biological, physical, you know, riddle to be solved by science. And once the proper behavioral repertoires can be engendered through the application of the proper stimuli, you'll have utopia, Walden too. Yeah, but but if you look at if you look at how it was conducted. Here in the United States, but especially in places like Canada and, and Australia, uh, uh, they, they saw it was you. You start seeing it as a beta test to see if we would accept ourselves as as this re, just reduced down to um, to uh, to uh, reactive animals. It, it became a beta test for that because we we were receiving contradictory directives right. and then they'd step back and see if we followed or questioned them no mask today a mask yeah. today yeah. we'll try to mask now you know some people thought that thought that you know these kind of contradictory uh directives that we were given were attributable to um to incompetence to yeah. incompetence yeah. but uh we don't necessarily see that as, as we see it as more of a beta test to see That's if we would accept our roles as reactive animals that just respond to the directives that are given. You know? I'd so. agree. This is how I saw it uh, towards the end of two, and, you know, I've had time to actually process it all, but it's, it's, it's exactly how I've come to see it too, a test on us to see what, as creatures, we will do when we are presented with these kind of conundrums. Yeah. And, um, now, they, did start to that... hit a, they did start to hit a red line with the vaccine because they started to get people there that are like, um, you know, the reg- average vaccine, 15 to 20 years of development. And this came out in under six months. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, but they did have a whole swath of the community that said, Oh, mystery juice, shoot me up. I'm ready to go back to the stadium, man. You know, I just yeah. trying to get as many as I could. I just want to get back to my normal <laughs> life, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The level of control. And I mean, one thing when I visited America last year was, you know, obviously there's a big thing about, the concept of freedom, being an American, the American dream, you know, like that you are free and you, you can fulfill these ideals that you feel you, you hold dear, um, which were basically squashed. Even in a, an environment where you, you're armed to the teeth, if you wanted to, for, with your Second Amendment and stuff, but none of that is exercised <laughs> because people just do exactly as they're told, yeah? Right. Well, there's a good swath of people who didn't give a shit and just, you know, <laughs> across the board and just didn't do what they were told. And, you know, right. there's still the, that vein that's that natively American, I would say. We couldn't do anything like that. We were just, it was it's such a small country. Have you been to the UK before, guys? Us? Uh, no, it's, no. It's, no. Nah. Well, it's tiny and it's heavily you know, like they, they know exactly what you're up to. You can't really do much without getting, getting caught. So this idea of going somewhere where you're free and you can do what you want to do, you can't do that here. Right. Was, propaganda was great. It was almost like Goebbels did it. It was just like, you need to get a vaccine, protect the world, or old people and kids dying and it's all your yeah. fault. And, well, you just, you know, that element of guilt and layering it on, like it's mind oh, control. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. And, and that brings, that brings me back to the, to the uh, issues that I raised with, science or or what could be more uh, accurately dubbed scientism which is science gone mad science fetishized and everything science regarded as being in particular the physical sciences the natural sciences 
as being universally competent. They 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 are the sole path to truth. Um, they 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 can be applied to all fields of uh, all fields of inquiry. Um, that's scientism, and that's what we saw here. Uh, follow mm-hmm. the science. I follow the science. All these ridiculous aphorisms that reeked of scientism and everything. But science. You, you were you were constantly shamed. Oh, you are a horrible person if you don't put on the mask. Oh, you are a horrible person if you don't take the vaccine. Oh, you are a horrible person if you don't remain six feet away from this person, even if they happen to be your relative who is ready to die. Okay, mm-hmm. from whence from whence do you derive the, the the authority to make these ethical pronouncements? Again, science can't make them. Science is is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. And that yeah. was one of the sickening things about it was science all of a sudden started to, to intrude onto uh, domains that it, it simply cannot intrude into. And it was becoming an ersatz religion. Um, as a matter of which, fact, which is were, interesting comment. I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you think oh, back yeah. to the, gold, the golden ages where science was, you were burned at the stake being a heretic because you know the church ran everything, right? So if you're doing any type of science, you were the devil and you were going to die, and we've completely flipped that whole thing around, right? Where now none of the spiritual or the esoteric means anything anymore. If it's not science, yeah. it's just getting tossed. God is dead. In, in, it's completely flipped. <laughs> science dead, is, right? Science yeah, is well, king. Yeah, well, what we basically saw here emerge here in the United States was a sociocracy. And a sociocracy was a, 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 a basically a theocratic order that was advanced by none other than uh, August Comte, who, of course, was the founder of the social sciences. And that underscores the technocratic origins of the social sciences. But August Comte, he, he built upon the ideas of Henri de Saint Simon. Um, he advanced the development of a surrogate religion, which was an idea that uh, St. Simone had also contemplated. St. Simone had uh, advanced that same concept as a quote-unquote new Christianity, which he he said would Uh, probably mirror more so heretical sects of Christianity, which tells me he was probably drawing heavily from hermeticism, uh, Gnosticism, what have you. But uh, Comte promoted this idea of the sociocracy which he described as a religion, a new religion of humanity, and sociocracy would enshrine what he dubbed sociolatry. And sociolatry, as defined by Comte, uh, involved a system of secularized sacraments and festivals. And Comte believed that that through through the system— And we we had secularized sacraments here. We had a mask. We had a vaccine. These were sacraments. These were sacraments. and and if you if you re, if you resisted them, the horns came up with with a very religious fervor. It was, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't you just like, shot for not wearing yeah. masks. Literally yeah. shot in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there was commentators over here saying that you know that they that people deserve to die basically if they didn't wear masks. Yeah. And you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh God. It, there were there were there were veritable icons. Uh, 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 made incorporating Fauci's uh, 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 Fauci's likeness into them. I mean, this all this all echoed uh, the uh, concept of a sociocracy. Uh, It uh, it, Mm -hmm. and in in a sociocracy, and as Comte advanced it, what what you had were devotional rites and uh, uh, 
through these devotional rites, participants would consecrate themselves to humanity with a capital H, um, Mm -hmm. which he venerated as the grand being, which uh, basically was humanity uh, devonized. And you see that here too, because it was suddenly for the good of man, capital M. And so there was the subordination of the individual to the collective for the common good, whatever the heck that is. We're in this together. We're all yeah, we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah, you're not alone. All the slogans are great. Yeah, just something near me. We got all these slogans. We got to use them. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess that the 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 commonality between um, COVID and the the UFO um, uh, the the, yeah deception and all is is fear. They were nudging us into Mm -hmm. this this kind of. this, right. this sociocracy. Well, uh, we're using fear here right. in the United States, and with with uh, they're both with the way we're headed right now with the deception campaign uh, involving UFOs is again fear. It's fear because mm-hmm. I mean, like if I mean if you go back just to 2018, there was a March 9th, 2018 op-ed piece that was put out by Christopher uh, Mellon, where Christopher Mellon presented them. Presented, you know, UFOs. You know, they rebranded as UAPs, but same damn thing. Um, you know, uh, presented them as 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 a kind of as a threat, and and started to you know actually say, well, look, you know, this, you know, if we don't if we don't address this issue, we could have an intelligence failure on par with Pearl Harbor. So it becomes almost like a cosmic Pearl Harbor. You know, he actually uh, said 9-11 and multiple oh, 9/11, that was, as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, my, my, my personal opinion, we're finishing, we're trying to finish up a piece right now. A new article. Yeah. yeah. A new article. And oh, cool. my opinion is that Mellon, one of the reasons that he put out that op-ed piece was to revive uh, the ideas, the concepts that were introduced to the United States back in 1950 with a document known as NSC Paper 68, National Security Council uh, Paper 68. It basically is the foundational doctrine of the Cold War. And it, it and what it said was that, that, you know, it basically put America and the Soviet Union in two binary camps. The Soviet Union is absolute evil. The United States is absolute good. Yeah. So you basically have an ideologized form of Manichaeanism. Yeah. Um, it's it's Manichaean thought um, uh, because Manichaeanism advanced this ontology that was couched in the alleged equi- equipotency of light and darkness, of evil and, and good. Us them. Yes. Yeah. And it, it makes no allowance, no allowance for uh, any of the nuances of and of uh, moral sensibilities, because we know that human beings, as human beings, we run the spectrum, and I think we can we can change our minds and everything. It, it's not it's not as though corruption is actually interwoven into our very ontology. But that's what they that's what the Manichaeans did. They ontologized evil, and that's kind of what that's what this uh, national security do, uh, uh, document did as well. It, it ontologizes evil. It concretizes it in the form of the uh, evil East, the them darn Ruskies. So, yeah, I mean, it is so 
you know, basically it helped, and it, it had a lot of really fiery rhetoric. I mean, for a for a national security document, it had a lot of really fiery rhetoric, like what you would expect in a in a in some kind of religious text, a sermon. Yeah, the, um, the around, around yeah. nuclear weapons and the, yeah. the, the the proliferation of nuclear arms. Yeah, yeah, but, but right. it helped. And that, that was where mad came in there right was that mutually oh yeah uh, yeah it destruction. falls within the context yeah it falls within the context yeah. of mutually assured dis- destruction because mm. it calls for the maintenance the document called for the maintenance of containment that had begun at the advent of the cold war with george keenan but it said we need to militarize containment you know because mm. it said you know if it you know the it said, well, the, the Soviets and the, the red Chinese, they've made inroads in this conflict with us. You know, um, uh, Mao has taken the mainland. Uh, J- Russia has um, detonated a nuclear device and all. Um, if they keep up with this, they're going to wipe us out. The city on the hill is going to be lost and we won't be a beacon of hope for the rest of the world. The world falls into mm-hmm. darkness. So the only way that we can match that is a military buildup. And all, mm. and so that that document provided the rationale for the massive military buildup that we saw, not just in a defensive um, context, but in an offensive context as well. Not just defensive, you know, uh, weaponry, but uh, offensive weaponry. And I'm not just talking nuclear arsenals, but I'm t- I'm talking tanks, planes, guns, armor Mind control, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. orbital beam weapons. You know, it, it led to the garrison. It led to the garrison state here in the United States, which was very advantageous to our our semi-submerged oligarchy here, because a garrison state is always characterized by <clears throat> by um, a defense spending that like eats more than three quarters of your, of your, of your national, um, if, of your national economy. Yeah. And all, and, and just an erosion of, of civil liberties of, uh, you know, because anybody that calls this into question, you know, they, they must be with them. They must be on the other side. And so, you know, it leads to persecution of other people. People, you know, because they're calling it, they're they they're you know opposing this this erection of a massive national security state, and all. Well, you know, with the end of the Cold War, you know, that started to run out of traction for the ideas presented in NSC sixty eight, and then we had the GWAT, we had the Global War on Terrorism. Now that's running out of traction. How do we keep the bad guy aliens? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. How do we keep the principles? Of NSC yeah. sixty eight alive and well today, and that's where we're yeah. going with actually, the article. And, and, and interesting little, uh, and this is actually I, I, I touch on this in our first book, the ascendancy of the scientific dictatorship. But there's also, if, if you don't want to go out and have to buy another book, I, I, I wrote an article, standalone article about it, called the semiotic deception of nine eleven. Um, mm. Okay, um, that binary, that Manichaean binary. You see that Manichaean binary on display, in particular, one of the more recent cultural artifacts. Um, you see it, it was uh, Independence Day. Independence Day featured this Manichaean binary where the aliens were absolute, the, the absolutely ontologically evil. They and mm-hmm. intent upon absolute extermination of humanity. Um, well, interestingly enough, and Paul brings up the G-Walk, what gave rise to the GWAC? What set it into motion? 9-11. Uh, 
on the day of 9/11 when those tower when the towers came down and and by the way this isn't some this isn't some kooky fringe notion this is this is uh expanded upon by a semiotician by the name of Elliot Gaines um, uh, in the Journal of Semiotics. D- on the day that the, that the Twin Towers came down, Ron and Sanya of MSNBC uh, came in descri- and described it, uh, described the scene, and he analogized it to none other than Independence Day. And as <laughs> Elliot Gaines, as Elliot Gaines points out in his in 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 his essay over it, and I point this out in my article, uh, citing his his essay, he by drawing that intertextual reference, he automatically embedded in the mind that Manichaean binary of darkness and light, where suddenly the Arab world became darkness, and the United States became light. And so we already see where the, the, the binary of, of, you know, evil aliens, good humans, the beleaguered home world, that, that, that can already be invoked, like the beyond, invoked to ontologically and uh, epistemologically overwhelm national governments and act as the rationale for the instantiation of, of a uh, technocratic uh, state. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. I love how oh, you can oh, all tie it together. It's all yeah. good. I just fucking depressed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah it's, a, it's, it's a massive downer. But you know what? It's, it's, the thing is, though, it's kind of like if this is the, the sort of the play, yeah. what have we got at the minutes? We're sort of facing, we, we've got this the evil communist Russia again. Well, not even the communist, but the evil Russia again now, haven't we? Yeah, um, we've got the West separating themselves again. So, I mean, are we getting a replay of that? Because obviously now they're they're starting to all the sort of non-proliferation stuff is all being cancelled and thrown out the window. To an extent, you gotta have the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. to to an extent, it is because uh, because uh, Mellon in that op-ed he contemplates the idea that some of these um, these UFO incidents might be attributable. To, uh, to, to the Russians. So there's, mm-hmm. there's some Russophobia in there and all. And there always is going to be because, I mean, uh, Russia is the Earth Island. It's this huge landmass that, you know, the, that the British Navy could never vanquish because they, they, can, they can produce whatever the hell they need right within their yeah, own. Robust resources. Yeah, oil. right, right yeah, within yeah. Their, own, their, own, their own, you know, landmass. And all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, so Russia is always, it's, it's going to be that, that, um, that pain, that, uh, constant pain in the ass of the, of the Anglo, <laughs> of the Anglo American internationalist. That's never going to go away. But at some point they're going to, you know, you can see Mullen also moving away from attributing these UFO incidents to, to the Russians and saying mm-hmm. that it's something beyond them, and all you know, yeah. you see him migrating gradually towards that, and all. After, and you, after you built in that that ontological belief of that it's associated with it, or you've got that already, it's pre-programmed for you. Okay, so now it's we're just going to put that on the aliens. Exactly. For, for some, exactly. But there, I've heard a lot, a lot of. Um, I don't know if, how true it is, but there's been a lot of back and forth about 
you know, Russia and the U.S., for example, you know, during the Cold War, working together on the UFO problem, you know, some of the other countries, things like that, like behind the scenes, you know, we hate each other in public, but behind the scenes, we're actively working together towards, you know. Yeah, I, I do believe that there were probably, yeah, again, like, you know, it's, it's not a monolithic, you know, the power, pow, the power structure in, in the world today, it's not monolithic and it does. So there were probably some diplomatic back channels where some very real, you know, cooperation uh, was going on that was actually altruistic in nature, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, I, I know that there were there were peri- there were moments in the Cold War where their corrupt oligarchy was cooperating with our corrupt oligarchy. You know, there, there were that, that's not to say that the competition was completely was completely a sham. There was some very authentic competition going on there, but there were there were different deep state players and different oligarchs both in the East and in the West that always considered the rivalry to be farcical at best and manipulated and managed it to the degree that they could to some degree, mm. to varying degrees and everything. So, yeah, that I mean, makes sense. yeah, but was- we're, we're migrating, we're, we're eventually migrating away from, you know, seeing the Russians as the alien other to alien aliens as the other, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I think that they were kind of beta testing back in January when we have, you know, four shoot downs. Oh, launch the Pico balloons. Yeah. Four, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you know, four shoot downs in eight days, you know, considered to be one of the, I, I mean, and, and, and you have this, you, you have General Van Herc, who's head of NORAD and is in a position to know whatever the hell is in the most secure airspace in the world. And all yeah. throwing out this weapon, weaponized ambiguity, and all it, you know. It, it, well, is it alien? I'm not ruling anything. Out. Something. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ruling anything out. Well, he's being intentionally ambi- ambiguous so that we rule that in. Yeah, and, and interestingly, yeah, yeah. interestingly enough, uh, what was what was shot down over Alaska, which, uh, uh, according to some, it 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 sounds like a it sounds like a balloon. Um, um, that's, and if, well, they didn't have a propulsion, yeah, they didn't have yeah, any propulsion. Well, and, so. and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to state, state that with absolute epistemological certainty, but here's the thing as, as Rene Descartes put it, if, if we don't know what, you know, the truth is at the moment, uh, we may as well move towards what's probable. So it was probably <laughs> a balloon. Okay. But we may never know because to, uh, according to, uh, Fox news, uh, today, it's classified now. The Pentagon has classified it, and that's it's not to be classified because it adds to the mythology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. When you slap, so this when you slap the, chapter fifty of the the big game. When you when you slap a classification on that, um, um, whatever those objects are, instantly become Rorschach ink blots. Exactly. And you yeah. and the, the elite control. What it is you project on that Rorschach ink block. So it's a Chinese weather balloon or Chinese spy balloon, or it's Russian mm-hmm. in nature, and now it's alien. Or and it's then, a hobby club. Yeah. And now it's now all of a sudden it's Zeta reticulant. You know, right. how do we we eventually we head in that direction? You know, I don't I don't see that as far fetched at this point. You know, you can't see anything far fetched anymore after 
you know, after you were told that, you know, a mask and some mystery juice that you stick in your bloodstream is going to protect your respiratory system. Everybody all. shrugged. Well, this whole thing, that's what I was like, everybody just shrugged. Like everybody that normally that would come at me with all the UFO stuff because I'm a UFO guy. They're like, I'm like, did you see the thing? They're like, eh. Hey, yeah. Like we've never shot anything down ever. We shot. I know three, it was. Four things um, down. It was the lamest. It was the lamest freaking alien invasion ever. And it, <laughs> I know. I know yeah, we're going to have to step it up with the new blue beam. And I'm of the opinion that in some respects it was a psychological operation because of the length yeah. of time they allowed the things to stay in the sky. When Payne Stort's plane went off, if you look into the case of Payne Stort where, where the crew is killed and the plane is still flying, and all, when Payne Stort's plane went oh, off. Oh, Florida, right? Yeah, like, I, I believe, yeah. Florida, so yeah. It, it, when it went off, when it went off course and all, they instantly had fighter jets up around that and everything. And, and instead, they're just like, you know, oh, well, I'll be damned, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it I was think so that, lame, wasn't it? You know, it was they, so lame. They, they were they were allowing it to stay up there for a long time for for, for as long as they could with a protracted media response so as to psychologically condition us you know that, oh, yeah. that we're not safe you know the death from above is coming and so you know and so we need to you know vigorously revive you know the ideas and concepts uh, found in, embodied in NSC sixty eight and everything. You know, mm. and that's not to say that the UFO deception campaign is solely about militarization. It, that 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 plays a large role in it. it in it, you know, uh, there's also a social engineering component that we you can't neglect and everything. But it's it is it's a large part of it. You know, get keeping keeping the the wheels on the train of militarism from coming off. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to go pick up my uh, application for the Space Force here soon. (laughs) (laughs) I applied. applied. They're going to to fit us for jumpsuits. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like khakis in a polo. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> no, they actually they they had like a open I don't know what it was, but it was like last uh, I don't know it was six months ago they they were doing this massive hiring thing and they were like all right even if you're older because I'm old right they're like well you have a waiver if you if you know if you got certain certifications because I do information security right so I got to see SSP and they're like all right well we'll give you a waiver you know we can because you had to be like under thirty something you know and i'm 40 something right so they're like we can we can make it work if we get you got these certifications and we got on this zoom call and they, i swear to god there's like 500 people on zoom calls all like <laughs> the general and they were just like well we need a lot of people a lot of people retired we don't have another people and you know you can come I, in but he's like i'm warning you guys are going to be mad because a lot of people they're going to they're going to bring people in at higher ranks that people have been there for 15 or 20 years like people that are just off the street are going to be like Ooh, yeah a colonel but somewhere close right and he's like people are going to hate you the guy the guy yeah. that was the head was like people are going to be pissed the unions call you a scab yeah that's what the unions call a scab you know and i don't get it though i mean I because I, age ageism didn't seem to be a problem for elon musk because he shot you know captain kirk up there and he's 97 <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's we're, true. We're, we're when, he, when he talks, 
Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, Can't believe Captain Kirk actually made it to space. It's amazing. Somebody said there was a positive in all this. about it. That was like nobody could like Bezos. Bezos wasn't paying attention to um, uh, Shatner crying about you know like the the fragility of space and all this stuff because yeah. Bezos was spraying champagne on a like a bikini model. All <laughs> <laughs> Shatner was crying next to him. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it could have been so True. beautiful. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and now we're here. Yeah. yeah so what's, so what? So what's next for you guys then? Yeah. So you, you're writing this this new article on. I'm um, excited for the new UFOs. Yeah, yeah. The, the new yeah. article is is called uh, UFOs and the um and uh, UFOs and the ghost of Paul Nietzsche. Paul Nietzsche was the um, was the was the primary author of NSC uh, 68, and all. We hope to have that done in you know a week or so and everything oh, wow. maybe a little bit longer and all we got a source coming in and all i always find myself having to order new make a sizable order to amazon for some of these books you know to you know that yeah. you know and, and once that source comes in and we cite that we'll 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 get that we'll get that out and i and i hope to have another article out while i'm still on leave my I just had a son born, so I'm oh, on. Congratulations! Congratulations! Yeah, so I'm on leave from work, and when you're on leave from work, you can give it almost you almost your singular focus until the until the crying starts in the back. Yeah, so I'm, uh, so we're we're thinking about after that, like we got some other ideas from some uh, for some other articles. Um, one of probably uh, looking into a, a kind of a profile of Lou Elizondo, but not just of Lou Elizondo, but of the New York Times in particular, because the New York Times really played a big role in propping this man up and giving him the celebrity status that he has. And most people don't yeah. know what they're looking at when they see the New York Times. They don't know. I mean, Salzberger, the Salzberger family, you know, they're part of this um, oligarchical set that we have here in the United States and all they, they, you know, they, they played a major role in the council on foreign relations, which is a major uh, elitist combine and all. And also Leslie Kane, who wrote, yeah. who was, was the co-author in that article. What many people don't know, her uncle is Thomas Kane of the Kane commission. So, I mean, and the Kane commission, no of idea. course, whitewashed 9-11. They, they were the one that came out oh, with the right. 9-11 report. And Kane himself came out and said, this report's a sham. This was a cover-up. You know, yeah, and also it runs in her family background to do false narratives and, and to and whitewash things. So was she doing something similar when she was writing this, you know, piece about uh, Lou Elizondo that basically catapulted him to, you know, Almost becoming a household name, at least within ufological circles. Well, John all. Luke is doing amazing research with finding the fam family ties for all this stuff that goes back. I mean, it's it's always in the families, right? Yeah, that's what, yeah. That's what I seem to find. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You, you see the patterns, don't you? And you just and that's what I do. Every story that comes my way that that I see, instead of researching the story, I research the people in the story first. Yeah. Because then yeah. it gives you that pattern. Then you can see exactly where they're coming from, their motivations and why they might want to do that. I it, mean, it, Leslie Keane, she was with Bud Hopkins for a long time. Yeah. 
There were right. Partners. Yeah. There, was, there were I think they backed up. There. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. And, uh, the thing is, is that Bud Hopkins too. He was he was uh, sponsored uh, by uh, Robert Bigelow, the Las Vegas yeah. uh, entrepreneur that started right. Nitsi. And all. And, and then you've got. The Coronado Island abduction story, where they all That's got together one. and they all apparently had missing time and strange things happened to them. The same crew. So there's manipulation maybe at play there as well. Right. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. You guys familiar I, I, with that one? The Coronado? No, I am not. I, I have to John admit. I'll give it to him. It's so, it's, it doesn't even sound real. But It's like a UFO conference that they all attended on Coronado Island. And then apparently they reckon that they, there was a mass abduction um, where, where there was missing time. Yeah, if you look into it, like oh. uh, Bud Hopkins, uh, Robert Bigelow. Like, Leslie King. Leslie King. Yeah, like, yeah. You, honestly, it's a crazy story. It's weird that it hasn't been covered more. Um, but yeah, they say that there was something that went on there. And in me, my cynical mind just says, okay, so there was a black ops mission that went mm-hmm. in and probably – Sprayed some sort of psychoactive medication into the room, and, <laughs> and then the scientists come in and start hypnotizing. Or I don't know, but I, but it's a very interesting story. You should check it out. Gotcha, and definitely yeah. will, yeah. and everything. But I like your approach because you have to look at individuals, right? Because reality is is very nuanced, and there's this temptation to say that everybody that's in a dynasty is involved with the. With the with the dynasty with the dynasty's agenda, and all, mm-hmm. you know that everybody's going along with it. Oh, they're all Illuminati. They're all the they're the, no. You know you you have your black sheep. You have your renegades, and all you know yeah, uh, John Warner the Force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. John Warner's shown as that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, and you know on a microcosmic scale, we can see that. I mean, like if you were to get us and our three other siblings. <laughs> in a room and everything, you know, there might be some furniture thrown and all, you know, <laughs> you know, they're not interested in this sort of conversation, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I mean, if you look at, for instance, uh, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the Delanos were like wrapped up in the opium trade and, and then the East India company and all, and you can see where he tried to an extent, to break away, he tried. You know, yeah, he tried no, to he dislodge from it, that. Yeah, he, he. It wasn't a perfect, a perfect separation. It was no, no divorce is perfect, and you can actually see, you know, some, some influence of of the uh, of the Anglo American internationalist set around him through people like Harry Hopkins, through people like, um, uh, oh, I the name escapes me at the moment and everything, but. Uh, but uh, the the one uh, brother fraternal brother of uh, uh, Prescott Bush, um, not Jeb. Is it? No, no, the pre- fraternal brother. Oh, from, oh, for, oh, oh, uh, no. oh, well, uh, Carrie? John Kerry, Harriman, Harriman. Harriman. Sorry, Harriman. you know, you saw you saw the Harrimans, you saw the Hopkins, you saw them all leaning in on this guy who's frail and you know you know, suffering some degree of stability. So it wasn't a perfect divorce, but he didn't go entirely down the same path as, as the rest, as the rest of them, you know, and, and mm. there, there's, there's, there's other ex- examples uh, along the way, you know, uh, Trump at one point was, was really kind of involved in, 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 in a certain, 
a certain cross section of the deep state. If you look at, you know, his involvement with Resort International, and you know, he knew at, at um, um, Khashoggi and then Khashoggi mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious that he deviated in some way because he got an awful lot of people pissed off at him, I- including you know the the neocons. You know, it wasn't just neoliberals. Everybody thinks of you know people in the Democratic camp that were that were mad at him. It was people like the Bushes. It was people like he, he, here of um, the the Cheneys. You know. It, which, uh, John John Bolton. Uh, we got John Bolton. You know, Bolton, so yeah. so you know, like not not everybody falls within the same category of the consummate. You know, has he been arrested yet? Who's it? Trump? John, no. um, but they're going to shoot another balloon. Not everybody falls within the category of the consummate deep state. Uh, operative, you know, it, there's oh, yeah, it, yeah, there's yeah. nuances there, so so yeah, and all. So that's I, I like the approach of going, you know, looking at individuals and stuff. So thank you, <laughs> it's worked well, out so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And thank you guys for making an awesome book and taking hey. time to talk to us. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank really you. appreciate it. No, we really, really appreciate it. Like, it's well, so nice you. of you just yeah, as well to accept our invitation and actually be, be keen to do it. So, we're really grateful. Yeah, yeah thank will you, you come on again with us? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. You give us yeah. awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, oh, brilliant.